It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. We, in a moment, are going to walk through uh, two, the biographies of two potential members of the Supreme Court. You know there is a vacancy, of course, left by the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, President Trump has announced that on Saturday he will make it known who he intends uh, to nominate to fill that vacancy. He has also made it clear that that uh, nomination will be of a woman. And the list right now looks to be uh, whittled down to about three. We spoke uh, yesterday uh, and the day before about Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, She, uh, likely the front runner right now during the uh, Kavanaugh nomination process before the president formally put forward his uh, nomination. Uh, we, we knew that Amy Coney Barrett was being considered then. The president made comments that he uh, will hold her in reserve uh, for an opportunity like the one he is presented with now. So we'll get into those biographies in just a moment. Before we do, though, uh, we just a moment ago got from the Utah Department of Health the latest uh, COVID-19 case counts. You heard uh, reported that the, the increase is one of 877 cases, 877 since yesterday. Uh, yesterday and the day before, we were in the 600s, and I had uh, crossed my fingers and hoped that uh, those big spikes of Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, I had hoped that that would be the extent. I had hoped, uh, ignorantly it may appear, that Labor Day, had led to a pretty significant spike, and that as we moved away from Labor Day that we would see a decline. Now, uh, we have no numbers that are uh, able to indicate a downward trend right now. It's all uh, pretty unfortunate news, especially when you look at the seven-day rolling averages, which in terms of percent positive lab tests right now, 14.2%. That's no good. Uh, I also want to point out the hospitalization numbers. This is an important one. Uh, So many as they hear the uh, like total case count numbers, uh, the, the response is, okay, yeah, fine, I, I got it. Uh, that can fluctuate with testing. That can fluctuate with a number of things. But the real question is hospitalization. Right from the very beginning, safeguarding our capacity to give care, our capacity to have caregivers uh, available to give care has been uh, crucially important. We have heard that uh, echoed by all fronts. Uh, the, the governor has touched on it. Of course, Dr. Dunn, uh, the Utah Hospital Association, the various medical providers throughout the state. Well, right now we are at 171. And now back to July, we were 200 plus. And so to see 171, uh, you know, in the face of 877 new cases from yesterday, uh, you may say in isolation looking at it that uh, we're doing okay. Uh, But one thing, I've been tracking pretty closely uh, the hospitalization numbers, and they're very small increments, but we have been incrementally increasing uh, for the past number of days. And that uh, is a trend that we do not want to continue. That is the one that we really need to watch because if we get uh, past what we learned the other day uh, from the interim director of the Utah Department of Health, that if we get uh, past like 67, 68% capacity, uh, we're knocking on the door of crisis and we have to avoid that. Um, lastly, uh, 
the death number. Uh, one more death from yesterday, a female older than 85, a Salt Lake County resident uh, who was not hospitalized at the time of her death. Uh, so those are the updated numbers. Um, because because the, the stakes are so high right now, I'm going to each day kind of walk through these uh, and share some of my observations. Um, and so I'd ask uh, for, your, for your patience there uh, because it is very important, especially as you know big decisions are made based on these numbers, like the, the ones we heard uh, in or we learned of from Utah County last night. All right, let me uh, let me shift gears here for a second. The death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Justice Ginsburg, uh, just this morning, in fact, uh, being honored in Washington D.C. The ceremony this morning, a, a very beautiful one. Uh, Paul Bearers uh, carrying her casket past uh, some you know hundred plus uh, former clerks of hers. It was a, a beautiful scene. Uh, it was a very solemn scene, and the remarks uh, uttered about her uh, were descriptive of a life lived in service. Uh, she was called a hero and a trailblazer on many uh, occasions, and uh, it was a very nice and thoughtful service. We aired much of that here uh, on on these airwaves, and if you haven't had a chance, if you uh, happen to miss some of that, uh, I'd invite you to uh, to track down a way to watch it and to hear the words shared about her, because regardless of your politics, regardless of where you stand on her decisions and all that, uh, remarkable woman. The story of her uh, both uh, familial, educational, and professional accomplishments, uh, her legal accomplishments, uh, are without equal, are without equal, and uh, she will certainly be missed. Uh, But one of the realities with the passing of Justice Ginsburg, of course, is that, uh, you know, to to preserve the full strength of the court, uh, there you know, must be a replacement named. And we can debate the timing of that, and we'll save that for another day. Uh, But the president has made it known, President Trump has made it known that he will be exercising uh, his uh, constitutionally granted authority to name a replacement, a replacement nominee at the very least. We spoke yesterday uh, about Amy Coney Barrett, uh, one potential replacement. And now I want to talk to you about uh, another option, uh, that the president is considering, uh, and that is of uh, Florida Supreme Court Justice uh, Barbara Lagoa. Uh, she, uh, you know, to to ascend to that position, uh, the where where she, you know, uh, presided uh, and worked, not presided, but was a member of the Florida Supreme Court. Uh, she she addressed. Uh, media on the day of that ascension. And one of the first things she discussed, and uh, I was pleased to, to, to hear this, I like when, when you know, regardless of your politics, regardless of your attitudes, uh, when you are able to uh, comfortably discuss your, your parents and your family and it, what it means to you. For me, at least, uh, knowing about an individual's relationship with their family is very important. So here is uh, here is Barbara Barbara Lagoa uh, speaking in Florida just last year as she was uh, uh, confirmed a member of the Florida Supreme Court. Over fifty years ago, my parents, like so many others, came to this country from Cuba to start rebuilding their lives in a land that offered them opportunity, but more importantly, freedom. I know that the farthest thing from their minds when they arrived here with only the clothes on their back and their education was that their only child would be here standing today with the governor of Florida at an event like this today, especially since my father had to give up his dream of becoming a lawyer. 
Now, there's an interesting distinction uh, about Barbara Lagoa as she is compared to, uh, say, the candidate we spoke on yesterday, Amy Coney Barrett, and uh, another name we'll discuss after the break, Allison Jones Rushing. Uh, all three of those women currently uh, sit uh, on uh, the Court of Appeals, uh, each in various uh, circuits. Uh, Barbara here on the 11th Circuit. Now, that is a, a position that must be confirmed, a nomination that must be confirmed by the Senate. Uh, Amy and Allison, uh, they were both confirmed pretty much along party line votes. I rack in my memory, I, I don't believe that anyone broke pr- political ranks there. Now, what sets Barbara Lagoa apart is that she uh, enjoyed uh, the support of senators on both sides of the aisle. In fact, uh, her nomination was confirmed by a vote of 80 to 15. Now, what does that mean? It means, uh, depending on who you ask, uh, if you ask me, it means that she may be a more bipartisanly attractive uh, candidate and may, uh, you know, if you look at these things through uh, political eyes uh, and a political lens, may aid the president uh, in his efforts in Florida, this upcoming presidential election. That's a cynical way to view it, and I sure hope that those aren't the considerations. But uh, that that uh, bipartisan support in the Senate, plus her having come from Florida, which is very important if an individual wants to be president of the United States, may make her a very attractive candidate. We'll see what comes of it. We're going to take a break right now, and as we return, we will have a look at the remaining candidate on what appears to be the president's uh, three-woman shortlist, Allison Jones Rushing. She may be, uh, if, if nominated and confirmed, one of the youngest justices in history. We'll get her bio next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. With the death of a Supreme Court justice, it always and naturally begs the second question. After the morning, after the remembering, after the ceremonies, there is a need to fill the vacant seat. And it, it feels funny having discussions like this. It was only last Friday that Justice Ginsburg uh, left us, and it was uh, today, just this morning, that ceremonies memorializing her life and commemorating her accomplishments took place in the Supreme Court of the United States and in the United States Capitol. But so it is uh, that that seat must be filled. And I mentioned in the last segment, we were talking about one of the candidates who may uh, receive a nomination from President Trump to fill that vacant seat, which he has announced he'll make on Saturday. So this weekend, there'll be some news made. Uh, You and I will be tuned right in for that. Uh, Well, there are are a number of potential candidates. Barbara Lagoa won. Uh, We spoke uh, about uh, another candidate the other day. Uh, and now to wrap up the, the short list, the, the, the perceived short list, right? We, we don't really know. We, we can only take clues from what uh, the president has said and we decide, you know, whether or not we, uh, we trust what maybe some trusted advisors uh, say. Uh, but the best information we have to work with now is that it will be one of uh, three women. The, the final woman uh, I'd like to, to share a little bit of bio with you on is a woman named Allison Jones Rushing. Mentioned her uh, briefly yesterday in the context of uh, she has a, an interesting quasi-Utah connection. Uh, and here it is. In 2012, as you remember, uh, Senator Mitt Romney was uh, not a senator, but rather the Republican uh, nominee for president of 
the United States. It was a wild time for news here in the state of Utah. I can remember uh, that year, 2012, uh, hitting the road, traveling uh, with Doug Wright, of course, as I served as his uh, as his producer. Uh, Maria Chaleos was there with us. There are some reporters who have uh, who have gone from KSL. Remember Peter Seymour? Peter Seymour was on the road with us for a long time. Uh, w- wonderful, wonderful experience. And it turns out that during all of that, during all of that, uh, there was there was an individual, Allison Jones Rushing, now potential nominee for the vacancy left by Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, uh, who was at that time serving uh, in a legal capacity for Mitt Romney on the Mitt Romney campaign. And I, I'll admit, I, I had a conversation yesterday with Senator Romney, and at that time, I didn't, I, I wasn't aware of that connection, and so I didn't have a chance to ask him. And I so wish uh, that I had known that and would have asked him. The next opportunity I get, uh, I want to ask about uh, this young woman. And the reason I say young woman, she's 38 years old. If she were to be uh, nominated and confirmed to the Supreme Court, she would be. Uh, as far as my research uh, indicates, the second youngest person ever nominated to the Supreme Court. Uh, you're probably wondering who is, uh, who was uh, the youngest associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. I'll tell you what, if you know, if you know, would you send me a text message, 57500. If your uh, SCOTUS trivial knowledge is this good, I'll be very impressed. I'll, I'll admit to you, I didn't know it. I, I Googled it. All right. Uh, I Googled it. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you a moment or so. Uh, send me a text message, 57500. It's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. If you can tell me, if you can tell me the name of the youngest Supreme Court justice ever, I'll be very impressed. Now, I don't have any I don't have any prizes to give you. We're, we're a relatively new show here. Uh, resources are limited. Uh, maybe someday I'll be able to hand out prizes. Today, uh, I can only hand out uh, applause and admiration. So the question is, who was the youngest Supreme Court justice? Uh, 57500. I'll give you a, a hint, a guess. Uh, the age was 32 uh, of this justice uh, when, uh, when he was uh, confirmed. Uh, anyway, uh, Nominated by James Madison. Um, so I want, let's, t- let's talk quickly about this Allison Jones rushing. I've, I've rambled on for too much. I don't want to, you to miss out on anything. Uh, so she, you know, as she was uh, being vetted to fill her position on the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals in October of 2018, there was a confirmation hearing, of course. That's how that process works. And in it, uh, she discussed her family uh, and her family's background. I let it be known earlier that I place a lot of importance and value in the, uh, the, the relationship that those in power have with their families. I believe that to be one of the first tests of one's capacity to be uh, successful and productive. And here is uh, Allison Rushing describing her family. I'd like to first introduce my husband, Blake, who's sitting behind me. Blake works as a management consultant. I would not be sitting here today. Um, were it not for his love and support. With Blake is our son, James, who is 11 months old and the light of our lives. Um, It is a joy every day to be his mother. I'd also like to introduce my parents, David and Lynette Jones, who made the trip from East Flat Rock, North Carolina, to be here today. 
My parents were high school sweethearts at the same high school that I would eventually attend in Henderson County, North Carolina. My father worked as an architect and a builder um, for part of his career, and I can still point out some of the buildings in our hometown that my dad worked on. Ultimately, both of my parents became teachers in the North Carolina public school system, where they devoted... My mom is a teacher in a public school system in Missouri, and uh, you know I, I don't know if that puts me on the same level as Allison Rushing, but I, I know what it is like to be raised by uh, a teacher, and uh, you know maybe some of those values uh, didn't stick uh, with me. I think I've been pretty rambunctious and rowdy and rebellious in my years, uh, but to be raised by parents uh, uh, who were engaged in public education, uh, you, you can do a lot worse than that. Uh, one thing I'd point out from her response there, she said, that she had uh, a young baby under the age of one, which means that should Allison Rushing be uh, nominated and ultimately confirmed to serve on the Supreme Court, that would mean that she would have a child under four years of age. She, in her capacity as a, a mother, would still be very busy. Right. There were many needs uh, of a child on their mother. And that's an interesting thing. And the balance there, uh, I, I, I have not before seen. Uh, and it would be an interesting uh, little footnote in history. You don't think of uh, the, the children of Supreme Court justices because, well, history has kind of uh, dictated them uh, to be a bit older. Maybe the parents or the children uh, are out of the house if they have children at all. Anyway, uh, during that same confirmation hearing, uh, the, the, the one to confirm Allison rushing to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, she was asked uh, an interesting question. She was asked about what her major disappointment in life was. I like to think that um, everything happens for a reason and that um, even though things are disappointing, they turn out for the best. Um, I was disappointed that I spent so much time focusing on my career instead of, um, instead of uh, a family. Um, but thankfully, um, I was blessed with a family as well. And I know it's very difficult sometimes for women in my profession to have both um, to start a family when they're also working hard at a big law firm. There's an episode of The Office, I think, where Dwight is asked a question about. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember it exactly. I mean, maybe you do. But I remember it was like a, a faux interview. He's asked about like what his greatest weakness is. And uh Oh, shoot, I, I forget the punchline, but it was something along the lines of my great... Amy, come on here. T- tell me, what, what the how does this line go? Uh, my greatest weakness is that I'm like... I think you're thinking of Michael Scott, where he does one, and he says, well, uh-huh. it, it's actually my greatest strength. And he turns it around, but then tells the interviewer that he is uh-huh. saying his greatest strength. Okay, all right. So it's something like, I, I, I'm too perfect, or something like that. Well, that's kind of what uh, this... That's kind of what Miss Rushing just said there. What's your greatest disappointment? It's working too hard. It's working too hard. Anyway, uh, to, to wrap this up, I, I want you to know a little bit more about the career of Miss Rushing. She was asked about being in the trenches or representing clients that weren't able to pay her. I've both been in the trenches and represented clients who can't pay me. Uh, first, I believe you have a letter from um, one of my clients who was in the trenches with me at trial um, talking about her experience. Um, Second, um, I've represented numerous um, individuals who could not afford to pay me. Um, I've represented pro bono um, criminal defendants who have been found guilty of murder, three different cases um, on appeal 
in the Maryland court system. I've represented a veteran seeking benefits um, before the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals. In fact, that was a case of first in instance in front of the Federal Circuit. Um, and we made good law in that case to help the veteran and other veterans after him um, get the benefits they're entitled to. All right, that's it. The three uh, bios for the three on the short list held by uh, President Donald Trump as he moves forward to Saturday. And as we expect, uh, he will announce one of these three names as the next nominee to fill a vacancy left by Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court of the United States. Before we go to break, I'm going to give you the answer to that trivia question. Who was the youngest to serve on the Supreme Court uh, at 32 years and 58 days? Joseph Story is the correct answer. Two texters got it. I- I'm impressed. I am very impressed. Now, nothing, nothing to say that they or no way to know if they didn't Google that or not. But uh, <laughs> if you knew it, I am incredibly impressed. You have my uh, admiration and applause. Uh, we're going to take a quick break now. And when we return we're going to shift from the Supreme Court to Utah County. You've heard it throughout the morning that Utah County uh, has now uh, installed a mask mandate. What does that mean for the county? Is it enough? Is it enough to get it out of this tailspin when it comes to high COVID numbers? I sure hope so. We'll go through the details next. We'll speak with commissioners. We'll hear from the mayor. That's all ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.